Good morning. Welcome to Marine Creek. It's Pink Sunday. If you haven't noticed, uh, I don't normally wear a uh, pink polo, but uh, this was about all I could find in the fall in the men's section, and uh, I shopped for this myself, so thank you very much. Um, ended up finding out last night about 11 o'clock about the wrong size. So washing it on hot, drying it on hot, and uh, you will very rarely see me in a tucked-in shirt. And uh, so, yes, you can make fun of me today, and the next week we are back to normal. Um, but we're celebrating a, a Pink Sunday um, in honor of Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And uh, I had my Save the Tatas bracelet, but I think my daughter took it from me. Um, yeah, she has it on. And, uh, but we are uh, going pink and uh, making sure that we, as a church community, do our part in the overall health of our community. Too many times, churches tend to separate themselves from what's really going on around us, and uh, we deal with real-life issues, and I want to make sure that we as a church are engaged in real-life issues. And um, so let me say as a side note, too, as a guy wearing pink, I'm, I'm very sure in my masculinity, and, and here's where you know guys are okay with clothes. Um, several of us have the same shirt on, and it's okay, you know. Some ladies would be like, I can't believe she wore that shirt. No, for guys, it's like, whatever, you know what. Um, but I was this, getting ready for this week. I was going to put together some stats on how cancer uh, affects so many millions of people and what the odds of cancer are and the chances and percentages. But I pulled back on that because I think every one of us in this room, um, stats uh, mean nothing until it hits home, until it becomes personal. And I think every one of us in this room uh, and in our church community is, has in some way been impacted and affected by cancer. Um, and we have gone through uh, struggles with loved ones that we have seen fight uh, and, and do well and survive and become a cancer survivor. And uh, some of us have walked that process of the fight and, uh, and grieving our loss. And uh, so every one of us has been impacted by cancer, and it's important for us not to ignore it. And uh, there are things that we can, we can do um, as a community and as people. I mean, God gives us the ability uh, to, to work and to create. He gives us the mental capacity uh, to engage and do things that we know we can do. And I think God enjoys that when we, when we get involved as his kids and say, we're going to do something about fighting disease. Um, it actually lines up perfectly that we're in Pink Weekend uh, because of where we're at in the book of Matthew. Since we've launched, we've been journeying through the book of Matthew, just verse by verse and plowing through it. Uh, we want to get to know Jesus uh, for who Jesus really is. I think when we uh, engage Jesus in society, uh, we may engage a Jesus that people have created a false image around, and we as a church decided we wanted to get uh, get in here and, and love on who Jesus really is. If you've got your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 8, and uh, that's where we're going to be. We're going to plow through some scripture this morning, and uh, we're going to look at some interesting things going on uh, around the life of Jesus and his ministry. This point, we just finished the Sermon on the Mount last week, and uh, this part of uh, Matthew's narrative and Matthew's gospel, he is writing this to say Jesus is the king. Uh, Jerusalem had been awaiting the Messiah, and uh, the prophecies had been foretold. And Matthew is writing this book to a Jewish nation to say, the king that you've been waiting for is here. And a king has to have authority. 
And the interesting thing is this is where Scripture starts to transition to show Jesus' authority to the world. And we're going to go through the next couple weeks talking about his authority through chapter 8 and chapter 9. But I want to back up just a little bit to Matthew chapter 7 and and the last two verses we covered last week. uh, So it's fresh in our mind going into this. Um, When I say the word authority, if you're like me, you tend to kind of shudder inside. Um, Authority to me means tucking in my shirt, you know, and so that's why I like to wear my shirt untucked. Maybe I'm going against the man. I don't know. I don't know who the man is, but I'm going to go against him. So um, we tend to shudder at authority. When in essence, authority is not what we're really fighting in our tendency to fight. What we have a tendency to fight is power. And we've seen uh, power be abused in so many situations. I mean, I know I have. I don't know if you have or not. If you haven't, just wait. You'll see it. Um, But have you ever known people who have authority but no power? I mean, I had a boss one time that had authority based on position, uh, but there was no power. I mean, it was like all bark, no bite, and it was so frustrating to work for this person because you're like, I I have to respect everything based on your authority. However, man, this is just going nowhere. I mean, it's like we're sitting in in a car that has this amazing engine, but it never moves, and it got frustrating. We've also seen this power be abused where people get a position or title, and everything changes. It's like they're the most... Uh, humble, docile person, and they're serving, and uh, then they get a position or a title, and they become this completely different person because of the the perceived power or authority around this position. And uh, the interesting thing is Jesus has power and authority. We've heard the phrase, absolute power corrupts absolutely. I will tend to disagree with that statement because the only one in all of creation who has had absolute power is Jesus. And we're going to read, uh, we're going to read about his authority over uh, things in our life as we kick off into Pink Sunday. Let me back up into Matthew chapter 7 um, and read you verse 28 and 29. Uh, when Jesus had finished saying these things, these were uh, the th- as he finished up his sermon on the mount and uh, began to talk about uh, these tests that you put in that we discussed last week. What are these tests or these things that we can filter our faith through to find out if, if what we have is an authentic faith or if it's something that is just uh, convenient or easy. And Jesus finishes this up and the people sitting there hearing him, um, they said um, uh, the crowds were amazed because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. So what's happening here is you've got people kind of bucking the system because they're comparing Jesus with teachers of the law, and they're saying, wait, this guy has authority. There's something about the power and influence of this man that the people that we have since followed, it doesn't exist there. And so there must be something different about what's going on. And Jesus begins to come in and display absolute authority and power, but he has this beautiful balance of love and humility. And I think that's what's missing when we see people with this power and authority, that they become abusive with their power. Um, They become destructive with their authority. And we see Jesus is, is, is on the scene here, and he has power and authority for redemption and for God's plan of reconciling his people back to God. And that begins to drive and motivate his entire focus. And so uh, Jesus begins to to teach, 
And then as he's finished teaching, uh, we have to understand this, that Jesus, I mean, crowds followed Jesus and miracles happened. But people followed Jesus. Now understand this. People followed Jesus for his teaching. And the miracles were a result of the teaching. People didn't follow Jesus for the miracles and have to endure the teaching. I think in church, we've gotten that a little confused, um, in our, and especially in our modern-day uh, society where uh, large groups of people will follow someone based on healing and then endure the teaching. Let me just challenge you. Don't follow someone based on a miracle. If you see them heal somebody... Listen to the teaching. The teaching should follow, or the teaching should be ahead of the miracles, and the miracles follow the teaching. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's setting this up towards him, right? Priority. He's teaching the kingdom of God, reconciliation. He is on the scene to be our sacrifice and to lead us and model us in God's kingdom. And the miracles are a result of, of what he is saying about God's word and teaching. So when he gets done, he's, he's finished with the Sermon on the Mount. If you picture the scene, he's kind of walking down the hillside, and large crowds are gathered around him. And let's pick up in chapter 8. Um, and uh, it says this, When a man came down from the mountainside, or when, when he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him. Leprosy, it was, is, was a horrible disease. It was one of the worst diseases of Jesus' day. I mean, we, we still see leprosy in our, in our world today, not so much in our society, but if you, if you type in Google, go to images and type in leprosy, I thought about putting some pictures up for you, but I, I do have a weak stomach, and I have a very low gag reflex, and so it would not be pretty for us to show these today. It's a, it's, it, it was a, a hard disease, and people who got uh, leprosy um, were alienated from, from the rest of society. They had to go before the priests. The priests of that day did a lot of the medical work too. Kind of scary. But um, they would do the medical work and they would have to bandage themselves up, cover themselves. And if they came near people, they had to yell, unclean, unclean. And it, for a Jewish person to touch a person with leprosy, they then became ceremonially unclean and could not go to church for a week. And so here's the scene man with leprosy comes and he kneels before Jesus. So he's, he's now mixed himself into this crowd and he's approaching Jesus. He humbles himself. If you research the disease of leprosy, for him to kneel before Jesus was very painful. I mean, almost unbearable. And he humbles himself and kneels before him. And he says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. And he said, I am willing, be clean. Immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. You see, Jesus does have power over leprosy, but more importantly than leprosy and for us today, he has power over alienation. I think sometimes we go through a difficult time in our life and we think we're the only one. I mean, we, I, we have friends and, and family among us that have gone through divorce or loss. And the feeling is, why am I the only one experiencing this? Why is this just happening to me? And before someone can come around you and put their arm around you and say, I understand, 
or what I love to hear in our community is me too. Before they can do that, Jesus says, I have brought you in and I have, I have power over the alienation. I mean, Jesus' power and authority brought this man back into society. And he, I think he says, see to it that you tell no one about this because he wanted to make sure this man's faith was not based on his healing but on the power and authority of Jesus. And yes, there was a process, and he needed to go before the priest. Um, in Leviticus, it talks about a specific process on what someone who has been cleaned of leprosy must go through. It's, it's a long process. And the priest has to check him and verify, and then there's offerings before he can be reintroduced re, uh, in, into society. But Jesus says, I've taken care of that. Go to the priest, show them, offer the sacrifice, do what's needed. Jesus came to fulfill the law, remember, not get rid of it. And so this man is healed because Jesus has power and authority over leprosy. He has power and authority over the things that alienate us from society. I have friends that have gone through divorce, and it's almost like they feel like they need to walk through society going, divorced, divorced, you know, or someone who has gone through an abusive situation in their childhood, and they feel like they carry that through society, and they have to walk, when they walk into a situation, that's the filter with which they approach that situation. They're like, I've been abused. I've been abused. You need to know this. I've been abused. When they enter into a relationship, that becomes the weight and the baggage of the relationship to say, you just need to understand this about me. This is, this is what has alienated me from relationship with other people. Or sadly, what has alienated me from relationship with God. And Jesus, through one touch, can say, that's, that's clean. Jesus redeems our past so that we can engage in a relationship with God and with other people. And then, uh, let's go on to the next one here. Jesus has power over powerful people. There's some powerful people in my life that I wish Jesus would, would step in and, I'll say touch, but... Uh, <laughs> chapter 8, verse 5. Here we go. Uh, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, which was kind of the center of operations for, for his ministry, a centurion came and asked for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Okay, we read this, and I think we've, we, we just picture a Roman soldier. I always do with the big, like, brush mohawk, you know. and it come, I don't know why, but I just love that. I wish that fad would come back and we could go, you know, to Target and get the mohawk hat. But um, uh, he approaches Jesus. Now, to understand that what's really going on here is Jesus is a Jew, and the centurion is a Roman soldier. Rome is the occupying force of the Jewish nation. A Roman soldier would not approach a Jewish man and ask him for anything. As a matter of fact, when Jesus said, if a Roman soldier approaches you and it was law, that if they said, carry my armor, you were obligated legally to carry it one mile. And that's when Jesus says, if they ask you to go one, be a blessing and go two. So Jesus understands this interaction between the Roman officials 
and the Jewish peoples. And so he approaches him. A centurion is, is an official in the army. He is over 100 soldiers, centurion, sentry. They called him the commander of a sentry. And he had 100 men in his command. This man had power. Our military folks in our community understand this type of hierarchy and power. If you are under the command of, of an officer and they tell you to do something, you do it. There is authority. And so this soldier and this, this centurion has authority with his men. And Jesus recognizes his authority. Matthew, as he's writing, recognizes his authority. Otherwise, he could have just said a soldier or a man. Or a Roman man came and asked Jesus. But it's very important. He recognizes his authority. And he says, my, my servant is at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus says this, I'll go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. You see, he, he is a man under authority, and he recognizes Jesus' power. He says, Jesus, I, uh, I am under authority, and when my officials, when my officers give me a word, they don't have to come into the field and say, now here's what I want you to do. I get the word, and I do it. I'm a man of authority, so I don't have to go out on the front line and tell my soldiers, here's what I want you to do, here's how I want you to approach it. I can send the word, I can say it, and it happens. I can tell this soldier to go and do this, and he does it. I say to this soldier, come here, I want this taken care of, and he does it. And he's recognizing Jesus' authority, and he's saying, if I have this power, and your power is greater than mine, you can just say the word as well. I don't think we give this man enough credit. I mean, very smart man to see Jesus and his authority and his power and say, you don't have to come to my house. I don't know if you're like me, but if Jesus said, hey, I'm coming to your house, there's a lot of things going to go through my mind. The first of which is, is it vacuumed? What kind of dishes are in the sink? Is there food on the counter? You know, you start thinking... What's the shape of the bathroom in, you know? And he's saying, Jesus, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. I'm the occupying force of this, this nation, and yet I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. This, this if you want a modern-day parallel, this would be like Al-Qaeda actually taking over America. And an Al-Qaeda soldier coming up, or a member of the Taliban coming up and saying, I need your help. I know you're a Christian. I need your help. It's a hard situation to put yourself in. And Jesus says, I'll go. And they say, you know what? I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. But the God you serve has such authority and power that if you just say the word, I know it'll happen. Jesus has power over powerful people. Jesus can say the word, and it happens. I find so much comfort in that. I love hearing our kids. They are having an exciting time. I'm not trying to break the mood here, but I love that. Your kids get ministered to. And Tammy and her team, they love your kids. 
they are, they are passionate about your kids. So Jesus has power over powerful people. He speaks it and it happens. How did God create everything around us? How did he create everything in existence? He spoke it. There is power in his word. When the disciples were in the boat with Jesus and Jesus said, peace, be still, he calms the seas with a word. And he has power in his word that when he speaks it, things get done. That's the authority and the power at work through the God of the universe. Jesus also has power over sickness. Let's go on and read uh, in verse... um, I didn't finish this. Let me finish this for you. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth. I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom of heaven will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go. It will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. What Jesus is doing is the faith of this centurion, the faith of this soldier, the faith of an enemy, the faith of a corrupt man, the faith of an an enemy astonishes Jesus. The only other times in Scripture in the New Testament, the Gospels, that you see Jesus astonished is about people's lack of faith. And here we see this man, Jesus steps back and says, I've not found anyone with faith like this in all of Israel. And what he's doing, and he's calling to the Jews and saying, you have made so many things about the wrong things. You've wrapped yourself up in religion. You've let your faith become weak. And this man, his faith is, is healing his servant. This man's faith astonishes even me. And the Jews that were hearing this, the message that they took from what Jesus says is, I better get on it. I better up my faith. You know what? I better focus my faith and say, is my faith in that man right there? Is my faith in the Messiah? And so after Jesus finishes the events of the day, we find that he has power over sickness. In verse 14, it says, When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. She got up and began to wait on him. I almost called this section and said, A power over sickness, power over demons, because in a few, a few verses, you're going to see that he, he does cast out some demons. But since mother-in-law is mentioned in this same passage, I figured let's go the safe route and say power over sickness, because I don't, I don't need a phone call when this goes up on the web. Um, I love my mother-in-law very much, and I have an amazing relationship with her, and uh, I just want to make sure we cover sickness and not mother-in-law and demons in the same passage. <laughs> but Peter was married. Peter was the man who was fishing. Jesus called. He followed him. You know, Peter walked on water. Uh, Peter did some amazing things for the kingdom of God, and Peter was married. And his mother-in-law more than likely lived with them. And um, when Jesus got to Peter's house, she was in bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and began to wait on him. Maybe some ulterior motives. You know, Jesus just finished preaching, you know, the best sermon in history. You know, healed some people, talked with the Roman guard, uh, and 
probably hungry. He gets back. He's like, man, Peter's mo- Peter, let's go back to your house. Your mother-in-law makes the best pita bread. So they get in. They're like, oh, she's sick. Peter's like, hey, we're not going to be able to eat, guys. My mother-in-law's sick. And Jesus' like, uh-huh. here you go. <laughs> I am so hungry. Because, <laughs> you know, before I started preaching, I fasted for 40 days. Okay, I know hunger. I need some pita bread to fill the void here. So I don't think so. Um, but here's the thing we have to understand that, you know, she got up and waited on him. I, there wasn't an ulterior motive. I think that, that we are designed and equipped to worship and serve God with everything we have. And even when something gets in the way of that, Jesus is willing to remove an obstacle. And Jesus is willing to say, I have power and authority over sickness so you can do what you're created to do. And here's, here's what we have to understand. We recognize that her healing was complete because she got up and started serving him and waiting on him and helping them. The, the difference here is the motive behind the healing. I mean, we tend to think about our purpose. I can, tell, I can articulate my purpose very well for what I think it is. And when sickness gets in the way of that or anything gets in the way of that, I tend to try to bring my purpose to God and say, God, this is my purpose. I need you to fix this. I need you to heal this. You have authority and power over this. Take it away. But I'm doing that very selfishly. We have to go back and check motives. I don't think there was any selfish motives. And then it says, When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him. He drove out the spirits with a, there it is again, a word, and healed the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken in the prophet Isaiah almost 750 years before. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. You see, Jesus has power over sickness. He has power over leprosy. He has power over powerful people. But here's what's more important for us to understand. He has power over the real enemy. I mean, as we see him casting out demons, and it's very real, um, if we're going to acknowledge that there is a God and there is good, then we have to understand that by that admission, whether we like to acknowledge it or not, but by that admission, we have to understand that there is evil. And there is a presence, there is an enemy that does seek to kill, steal, and destroy us. And Jesus has power and authority over the real enemy. And the important thing is that's where a lot of these things begin to come from. And so how do we respond to this authority? You know, I said, my tendency is to bucket and fight it and, you know, go against the man. But how do we respond to the authority of this man, Jesus? How do we handle this amount of power and the reality of this power that is real? The power and authority that can walk into a house and heal. The power that will engage in a conversation and say, by a word, your servant is healed. The power that will drive someone painfully to their knees to say, if you are willing, heal me. And we have a response to that power. I think through this passage, we have to first submit. And, and we don't submit to disease. We don't submit to failure. We don't submit to a, a past that we regret. We submit to the power and authority of Jesus. I think too many times we bow ourselves to wrong decisions. We bow ourselves to past hurt. We bow ourselves to things that our power cannot get us out of. 
And Jesus is calling us, if you will submit to my authority and my power, follow me, I can overcome this. And that kind of submission and faith is what Jesus is calling us to. Now, I don't wanna, I'm not going to put out any false hope is that when you, when you submit your life to Jesus and you pour everything you are into him, that all your sickness is healed, that you will walk through life perfectly and beautifully. You, know, you will have the ability to go into the hospital when your friends are lying there fighting for their life and touch them and say, your faith has healed you. Jesus never promises that. The faith and submission that we place in Jesus is, Jesus, you can heal me, but even if he doesn't, I will serve him. If your kids have ever watched VeggieTales, the Rack Shack and Benny, or if you go back to the Old Testament story, and some of these great Old Testament stories, we've kind of... We've kind of made them into children's stories, but us as adults need to catch the principle in here. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not bow down to the king, and they were thrown into the fire, and the king says, aren't you scared of that? And they said, our God is powerful and mighty to save. But even if he doesn't, we will still serve him. And I think when we get in the face of adversity and sickness and disease and we're confronted with cancer, when it, whether it's in our life or, or someone close to us, our faith says, God can heal this, but even if he doesn't, I will glorify him, I will serve him, and I will submit to his authority. That's the faith that Jesus is calling us to. That's the faith and authority that Jesus wants to pour out on earth. In Matthew 28, before Jesus ascended into heaven, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. That's what I want to put my life in and submit to. The next thing, after we submit, we don't just live life on our knees. We don't just get the joy of just sitting here and gathered as a church and, and let the world go by and just pray and sing and read the Bible. We have to get up off our knees. There's times we have to close the Bible and we have to get out there and engage. And I think this is where Christians and churches and Christ followers and communities of faith tend to miss the mark. We do good at submitting, but we don't make it practical. We don't get in and live life. And we, well, first of all, we just miss out on life. But we take no action against anything. We've got all this knowledge in our head. We've got all this transformation in our heart. But true knowledge and transformation has to be lived out. Let's see it out here. Where's the tangible side of this transformation? Where's the tangible footprints of submission and following Jesus? And that means we engage. It's a process. That engagement, for me personally, is constantly submitting myself. Jesus, I've got to submit myself to your power. My head's gotten big. I have, I have bowed up with pride, and I humble myself. I, I would rather me humble myself and have some of that self-awareness than God humble me. I'd much rather would go to my knees on my own than get tripped up. I'm telling you, if you get prideful, God will put you on your knees. He said, I will humble the pride. And we engage. I think one thing we can do, the centurion didn't have to stand in the gap for his servant, but he did. I think we have to stand in the gap for people. Now, we can't, 
We can't save them. We don't have the power to save them. But we stand in the gap and we pray for them. We engage our life with theirs. We put our arm around them. And in areas where we can say, me too, we walk together. And when someone is walking, I, I have people that they're, they're honestly spiritually and emotionally, they're so weak they can't walk. Let me help you. Well, how, do you, how are you carrying me? It's not my power. I submit, my, I submit myself to the power and authority of Jesus. That's who's carrying you through me. And we hope that they engage in a relationship with Jesus through that. Some practical things we do. Um, let's bring this to, to us today. I mean, we're not walking around following Jesus, hearing Jesus teaching. He, you know, physically, he's not going to walk in and touch us. He sent the Holy Spirit into the world. And so for us, there's some things that we can do on our engagement and this authority. Um, go to the doctor. Go get a checkup. I mean, too many times we think that when we submit our life to Jesus, that, that his authority um, negates all other authority. Um, God is sovereign and in control and gives wisdom to people. He gives wisdom to doctors. He gives wisdom to scientists. There is power in med- medication. And so if you're praying for God to heal you, keep taking your medication until the doctor verifies it, please. <laughs> I don't want you, you passing out in the church service. And going, I've been praying for God to heal me. Well, where's your medication? I could take it by faith. You know what? Go to the doctor. Submit yourself to the doctor. Pray about it. Go to the doctor. Do it. I think some things that we can do to take some steps to get us engaged physically. I mean, we've got to engage physically. I, I struggle with diet. I'm a stress eater. I love food. And those two together make a hard combination. I struggle with working out. I don't like it. But I do it. And so I think we have to understand physically we've got to take care of ourselves. I mean, cancer is a, is a growing disease and we're trying to find a cure for it. But what, what's next? I mean, in Jesus' day it was leprosy. Cancer is a major killer. In Africa, HIV and AIDS. I mean, I remember when, when that first started getting publicity, we were thinking this is the end of the world. But we've got to take care of ourselves physically. I think we have to take care of ourselves emotionally. We carry a lot of baggage. I, and I'd say that because I know I do. If counseling is something you need to do, do it. There's nothing weak about going to someone who is trained to help you talk through and get through your emotional baggage. That will help you, that will help your relationships. That will help your emotional health. And then spiritually, I think many of us need to get into a discipline of regular prayer, a regular discipline of being in the Bible and reading, letting God's Word fill us to get spiritually healthy and then engaging in community. That's the me too side. Because I can pray and read Scripture but one way that I get healthy is I engage with other people. Now, you may say, I don't need you. I don't need church. Well, let me humble ourselves. We may need you. 
because God has led you through a process that maybe you can help someone in our community with. Let's think about what we can give, not what we get. And so let's get healthy. And my challenge to you is to submit to Jesus and engage. Submit to the power and authority of Jesus. I mean, this weekend we focus on going pink to bring our awareness to, to Breast Cancer Month. And all the ladies are going to get a, a pink packet that's going to give you information. But here's the thing. We can only go and have awareness for pink is because we have gone before the cross and we have had a red weekend. I mean, the Easter weekend that we celebrate in the spring is all about Jesus submitting his life and giving that on a cross and shedding his blood for us. And on Sunday, Easter Sunday, he walked out of that tomb. And that's what the authority in our life, what we submit to. The interesting thing is every person Jesus healed in his ministry, even though they were healed, eventually died. Death is something we all face. I heard one pastor say, we don't get out of this life alive. But the interesting thing, Jesus approaches Mary and Martha in John chapter 11, and they're upset because Lazarus has died, their brother. And they ask Jesus about this. If you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus says, even though a man dies, he lives. And even though he dies, or lives, may die. And Jesus says this. He says, Mary I and Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he dies, will live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? You see, faith starts with answering that question, do you believe this? Submission in Jesus starts with answering that question, do you believe this? Father, we love you and we thank you so much that you have power and authority in our life, that you have given us the ability uh, to overcome, that through your stripes and your blood that we are healed. And Father, we just ask that you uh, begin to give us an awareness in our life of specific ways that we can submit to your power and your authority. Father, we're all different and we all deal with different things in life, but we, we do come together united under two things today, and that's the power and authority of Jesus. And we also unite on this pink Sunday to say we want to do our part to engage in finding a cure for cancer. And Father, we know that you hold all things together in your hands and that those who do submit their life to you, that even though this life physically ends, that you give us life. That God, when we stand before you, that we will be complete, we will be whole, we will be healthy, we will be well. And God, we just pray for those that, that are close to us that are, are, are fighting cancer, 
we ask you to give them the strength and the courage to fight well and to fight hard. God, give us the strength and the courage to stand with them and fight with them. God, we know that you have the ability and power to heal. We ask for that healing power to be at work in our community. Touch us. Father, for those that are fighting cancer, touch them. We know that by the power of your word and a touch of the Holy Spirit, that the enemy must flee, sickness, disease, death must flee. And Father, we ask that, that you heal those around us. You heal those in our church community that are dealing with sickness and pain and hurt. But give us the faith that even if you don't, we will serve you. We will trust you. We will love you. And Father, I pray for anyone in here that, that is wrestling with the question that you asked in John 11 after you said that when we believe in you, even though we die, we will live. Do you believe that you are the resurrection and the life? Father, for those wrestling with that, I ask that you give us the faith so we can believe this. That's the miracle of your salvation is that you give us the faith to in turn give back to you. And just as much as I pray for healing, Father, I pray that you freely give faith to us in this room. We love you. We thank you. We ask for your blessing on this week. Help us to walk in submission and engage with the world around us to seek health in our body, a holistic health, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And help us to glorify you through the health that you bring in our life. We love you and we trust you. And we pray this with a faith that you give us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus who has all authority and power and perfection in the universe. In Jesus' name.